uh, the first thing we're going to dig into this evening will be our questions and answer time. And the only question we have tonight is uh, really and truly an elaboration on James chapter 4 and verse 16. So if you'll take your Bibles out tonight, and uh, later on in the sermon we'll be in Mark chapter 10. So if you want to get your finger there, uh, that'll be wonderful. But uh, as we address this question tonight and elaborate on James chapter 4 verse 16, uh, we're going to look at a handful of things tonight. I went ahead and decided to, to give you more than, it, than was asked for, okay, with the question itself. And um, so we're going to go, James chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, uh, verse 16 says, but now, but now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. So the answer to uh, verse 16 uh, is really and truly the verse itself verse 16 is linked to verses 13 through 17 they're connected they're connected in their self so james now returns to his practical e exhortation as you know guys we spent uh three weeks in james 1 and james 3 uh preaching and teaching on communication and then he goes over uh, quite a few different things in chapter 3 and as we get into chapter 4 uh, uh, he hammers a few items but then now he comes down to the practical exhortations uh to the christian in reality uh, James chapter uh, 4, verses 13 through 16, it's a transparent verse, to be honest with you. Uh, the context here is mainly speaking when, when man has an eternal talk about his goals, his plans, and I'm going to do this, yet leaving God out of them, okay? So to answer, the, to answer what does verse 16 mean is a very simple answer. I'm going to give it to you at the end here in a few moments. Um, but to establish the context and the foundation of it uh, is linked to verses 13 through 17. David says this, David said, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And you say, well, what does that have to do with it? They're making plans. They're, they're I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So when we look in verse 13 of chapter James chapter four, uh, he says here, go to now ye that say. So he's addressing a particular people. All right. And he says, today or tomorrow, uh, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. All right. Now, so he's speaking to those who say, I'm going to go do, th do this, that, and the other. Okay, this is my plan. I'm going to buy, sell, get gain. I'm going to build a business. I'm going to build a church. I'm going to do all these things. Okay. And then verse 14 says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor uh, that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now, see, now he comes back addressing those same people. But now you rejoice in your boastings, and all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, him that doeth good, uh, I'm sorry, therefore, uh, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. So as you look at that same boasting they're having, we're going to go into a city, we're going to get a game, we're going to buy and sell, we're going to build a company, we're going to build a church, we're gonna do, and all these things, but you're leaving God out of your plans, okay? David is, has a statement on that, saying that the wicked, through their pride of their, of their countenance, uh, will not seek after God. The Apostle Paul says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. And I know those seem like quite the uh, harsh um, verses trying to tie this to what James is saying, but in reality it is. Any time that we have plans outside of God's will is, is something that is leaving God out, not retaining God in our knowledge. So in the text, James is simply quoting what thousands of people say every single day. And here's one of the, and this may sound uh, like I'm splitting hairs. See you tomorrow. How many of us, we, you know, we leave the, leave the gym, leave the bank, leave the house. Hey, I'll see you later on. I'll see you, I'll, 
Um, we don't know that. You see, that's the, that's what James is addressing here. Practical exhortation in our life. You know, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So he says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Okay? It's the same thing that James is talking about. You're boasting, you're boasting, that you're, you're rejoicing and you're boasting about tomorrow, which may not even come. And he says it's evil. It's evil. So the Lord had something to say about this in Luke chapter 12. He said, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? All of these things are linking together because when you look at the end of that statement, of verse 16, that the question was going to be elaborated on, the statement is all such boastings, the rejoicing, that type of boasting is evil. And you're like, that's a pretty harsh word, man. You know, just by saying, see you later, you know, talk to you tomorrow. It's pretty harsh. But when you leave the Lord out, you know, one thing I'll say, you know, like if you, if you ever hear Daisy, Daisy say, you know, I'll be with you on, I'll be with you on Friday morning at, at prayer meeting, Lord willing. She always says, Lord willing, and, you know, and, and I listen for it. I, I wait to hear if she's going to say, you know, I'll be there in church, and Lord willing, and she pops it in there. And that is right to do, guys. It's the right thing to do. So James says that our life is like a vapor. One of the beautiful aspects of the valleys are, are the wee hours of the morning when the sun just starts to break, and you see that vapor coming up out of the valleys. Well, when you're driving over, one of the prettiest places I've ever seen in my life is on the cacao up, uh, just taking that B road out of Ebbavale, and you break the top of that road, and you look down across that valley there. It is a gorgeous sight, but you see that vapor coming up. That vapor's not there long, okay? As soon as the, the, the sunlight hits that vapor, it is gone. And so... James says that our life is compared to that vapor, says that it appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. That little time can be as little as 30 minutes within a 24-hour day. So, so he goes, he says, what is your life? One of the characters, one of the individuals in the Bible who's a contemporary of, um, who I said the word contemporary, maybe he was, anyway, I won't go down that road, I was going to chase a rant, but uh, uh, he was a contemporary of Abraham, oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. So James asked this question, he says, what is your life? And Job has a multitude of answers of what your, his, your life is. Job says that, and you can try to write it down, it's up on the screen, or I can send it to you, up to you. But he says that your life is, uh, is wind, in Job 7, 7. Job 7, 6, he says it's compared to a weaver's shuttle, which you know goes quickly. Servitude, Job 7, 1. He said our life is a trial, Job 7, 18. A shadow, all right, a shadow's ever moving. That's our theme this year looking at the legacy that we looked at for so long in front end of the year. Uh, an eagle's flight, Job 9.26. says that our life is swift like a sailing vessel, Job 9.26. Like a leaf blown in the wind, Job 13.25. A rotten tree, Job 14.8.10. A flower, okay? You know, flowers are great, they're beautiful, they smell wonderful, but really and truly, one or two days, they're gone, they start to die. The moment, the moment you cut those things, and even though you put them in water, they're starting to die then and there. Uh, it's quick. A cloud. You know, clouds come and go, and they come and go quickly. And that's what our life is. So it would appear that, you know, just from the above, Job knew knew more about life than any other writer in the Bible, and, and rightly so with what he went through so quickly and abruptly uh, in his life. And, you know, so, I mean, Job can expound upon what James is speaking of as our life being a vapor, you know, with, with 11 of these more similar things. But, um, at the end of the day, any man or woman saved or lost in this world today should say, if the Lord will, according to verse 15, 
in Job chapter 4, before we say anything. So to end our statement or end our Q&A session, guys, to sum it all up, verse 16 linked with verse 13, that the rejoicing of those boastings, I'm going to go do this, that, and the other, um, that boasting to rejoice in that is evil because in a great way when people are doing that, they're leaving God out of the mix. Now, you may sit here tonight and you say, well, how do we know? You know, I mean, how do we know, you know, uh, whether the Lord's in it or not? Well, I mean, sometimes you don't know. You know, you just got to pray the Lord's will. You pray the Lord's will. You ask the Lord's will for your life. Um, somebody asks you your plans. I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you that um, I'm like 0 for 10 with my plans of what my plans were to do, you know. Um, you know, going all the way back, I mean, I wasn't going to get married, okay? I wasn't going to have children. wasn't going to pastor. wasn't going to live north of Nashville. I mean, it, it just it goes on and on and on and on and on. And really and truly, those boastings, the rejoicing in that particular boasting of what I'm going to do, you know, James or the Lord by the Holy Spirit, you know, or James by the Holy Spirit says, hey, that boasting is evil, all right? That's what it's linked to. That's what verse 16 is linked to, and that's what it answers to us tonight. Uh, it is a practical exhortation for the Christian life. It enables us to understand that what we need to do in our life is to put our first foot forward, and as we put it forward, trust in the Lord's will, what's going to be next, okay? Um, guys, I know I don't need to say this, I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you don't need to ask the Lord's will about coming to church. That's a no-brainer. You don't need to ask the Lord's will about praying. All right? Faithful people are in the house of the Lord when the house of the Lord is open. open. People don't have, Christians don't have fruit in their lives because they're unfaithful. Not because God's unfaithful. All right? God's faithful. He's always faithful. But if you want fruit in your life, you're going to have to be faithful to Him. And uh, it, it's just that clear. And uh, so there are some things that you're like, well, if the Lord will, the Lord wills you to be in church. The Lord wills you to read the Bible. The Lord wills you to pray. The Lord wills you to witness. He wills you to serve Him, okay? So that's a given, all right? Those are things that uh, uh, you have to understand that, um, that that's what the Lord wants you to do. He's not going to pull you away from His will when it comes to the house of God or the Word of God. All right, guys, I want to bring a message to you tonight, if you will, from Mark chapter 10, uh, titled, That I Might Receive My Sight. It's coming from the verse here in Mark chapter 10. And uh, we're going to look at a character that we have looked at many years ago, uh, a particular individual by the name of Barnaba Barnabas, old blind Barnabas. We're going to need the tail end of the chapter, looking in verse uh, 46 is where we'll be tonight. Verse 46, and one of the events of the life of Christ, and a uh, uh, tremendous thing. And Bailey asked me if this was a part of the series. Now that I think about it, it probably could fit into the character studies that we've been doing. So if you want to shove it in there later on, that would be fine. Mark chapter 10, look in with me, if you will, in verse 46. And the Bible says, And he came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho uh, with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Barnabas, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called, and they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he casted away his garments, rose, and came to Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Blind men said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight.
Besides, so we've heard many, many, many sermons over the years and stories, I'm sure, of blind Bartimaeus. Sat on the roadside there, the beggar of the famous city Jericho. Uh, He was positioned in a place of great footfall, a place of great foot traffic. Many people were going to come by. It was a place where uh, people were entering in and departing from the city, and uh, they were forced to pass by him. They were forced to hear him, to see him. They were forced to tell him yea or nay and to give him what he wanted. And he could could sit there uh, for hours on end every single day, and he could beg for the sustenance of life. Uh, He could receive his daily rations, his money, even water perhaps, maybe even clothing. But, but the method of Barnabas' survival was for him to be sat on that roadside, on that highway, begging every single day. This was his method. Now, I ask you this question tonight, which I, it, it, it's not a rhetorical question. It's an honest question. Why is, he, why is Barnabas sat on the side of the road begging? Why is, why is he there begging for his survival? What puts Barnabas on the side of the road begging for food, water, clothing, whatever it may be, money? Why is he there? Simple answer. Because he's blind. He's blind, okay? That's why he's there, guys. He could not see. And even though our day day and age has afforded ways around those uh, who may be blind and it enables them to to work and to function well in society, it wasn't wasn't like that two millennia ago. It wasn't like that 2,000 years ago. It wasn't like that. In, in the days of Barnabas, in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we know very little about Barnabas' situation. We, we don't know how old he was. We don't know how long he was without sight. We don't know if he had a family, uh, former occupation, or anything. We don't know about his brothers or sisters, his cousins, his aunts, his uncles. The image that we have is that Barnabas is alone, but there's one thing that we know for absolute positive surety this evening. We know that he was blind, and we know he was begging for his life. That's what he was doing. And there's a very similitude between that beggar, guys, and the people of our world today. We are a functioning society, are we not? We are an operational world. We have every gadget known to man. We have every ease of situation. I mean, we live in a world of what we look for, of instantaneous replies. I talked about that the other day, that people send a text message out to someone, and and, uh, uh, we expect to hear back from them right away, that quick. You know, I grew up in a day and age where, you know, we had voice, uh, not voicemail, we had, what'd you call them? Voice machine. We had a voice, not a voice, answer machine. And we had an answer machine. And guess what? There was a tape cassette stuck in there. Lowry's sitting here going, what? He's speaking a foreign language. I don't even know. What is a tape cassette? I've seen pictures of those in museums. But anyway, um, you know, that's what you have. And you actually would phone your friend and you would leave a message and then you'd wait until they got home to call you back, if they were going to call you back, right? And that's just the way it is. I mean, that, that was life. You don't have that today. We live in a world today where it is expected of employees and staff members and friends and family that I sent you a text message .002 seconds ago. You sh- I should be seeing the typing symbol on the screen by now. And guys, life just doesn't work out, but that is the operational and functional world that we live in today. And in reality, that's the expectation we live in today. So our world is quite different, but our world is not too different than the world of Bartimaeus. You know, we have a functioning operational world. People are going through life. People are paying bills. People have families. They're learning in school. They're growing. They're getting degrees. They're getting jobs. They're losing jobs. They're doing all these things. But my question to you this evening, in comparison to Bartimaeus, was he living? He had life. But was he living? 
And today in our world, today with all of the people and the, and the hustle and bustle of our life and, and, and the, uh, the expediency and the technology and everything that we have today, people have life. They're living, they're breathing, they're moving, they're acting. But are they truly living today? Can we clearly see in our society that people live in life to the fullest? Bartimaeus was alive, but was he living? Bartimaeus had life. He was breathing. He could speak. He could talk. He could get loud. But was he living? Bartimaeus was making a living. Okay? We know he's making a living because he had to get something off that road to eat in order to be there that day Jesus came through. Yeah? But was he truly living today? My friend, this man had one thing holding him back. One thing that he could not see. He had one thing going for him. He knew he could not see. This was his obstacle that held him from being truly alive and living life, but rather having life that existed and just dwelling on that roadside every single day, depending on what someone may throw toward him. So the first thing that I want us to see here this evening, I want us to see a distant hearing, a distant uh, of hearing, if we will, Verse 47 tells us, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Now, there was a knowledge of Jesus. Bartimaeus uh, knew his name. And, uh, and just imagine with me that, uh, you know, what he may have heard about Jesus Christ. Jesus rolls up on the scene in, in Jericho. And he's, you know, he, here he is. He's coming into the city. And, 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 and the murmurs and the whispers start going around that, hey, here's Jesus of Nazareth is walking down the street. He's coming down your highway. He's coming down to your place where you are. He's coming down to where everybody is. And he's coming your way, Barnabas. So be ready, all right? So he heard those rumors. Here they are. He's coming to me. So imagine what he had heard about him over the years. Feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the woman with the issue of blood, the raising of the, the widow of Nain, her, her son, the Jairus' uh, you know, daughter being raised, the centurion's servant. I mean, all of these healings, all of these things that happened, Barnabas probably heard of it, okay? All the healings and feedings and reasons, all these things. And now here we know he knows his name, but Barnabas did not know Jesus, but what he had heard of him. What I'm saying to you tonight is that we live in a world today, we live in a society who has heard of Jesus, they hear his name. As a matter of fact, they use his name quite often as profane words and profanity. They hear his name called out by comedians in mockeries. And they even hear, have heard of the miracles, the cross and the resurrection. Uh, uh, they use the word Christmas, if you will. But it does them no good because they are just as blind as Bartimaeus on the road, on the roadside. They do not see their own need. They know who Jesus is. They know the name and the story and the events. Barnabas may have been blind. He may have been sat on this, uh, this highway side every single day begging to receive his daily needs. And day by day by day, he was out there uh, you know, earning a living hour by hour. But he wasn't living life to the fullest. But he had settled it in his mind on that highway that was the only place for him to live. It was the only place that he could survive that he heard of Jesus. Probably millions of people are doing the same thing today. They settle down into their current lifestyle. 
They're blinded about what could be. They're blinded to what Jesus wants them in their life. And they only use his name possibly as a curse word. This is what Paul says. Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so, as, as ye have us as an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus. So, beloved, in our world today, there is a distant hearing. People hear the name of Jesus. With those who are lost, and yet I'm afraid uh, many who are supposedly uh, have a call on their life today, a call to full-time service, they're living in a manner that they know not Jesus. They're living like they just heard of him. Play games, go through the motions, and this and that. I'm going to say this tonight. You're either in or out. That, that's the way it works, serving a word. You're, you, you're either in or out. That's simple tonight. I want it to seek in, guys. The Lord is not, uh, you know, you're not going to, to look at your schedule and say, well, I'll squeeze Jesus in, you know, whenever. I'll squeeze church in when, when it fits my schedule. I'll, I'll squeeze, min squeeze ministry in uh, when, when it's my schedule. I'll squeeze prayer in when it fits my bill. Let it sink in for just a second. That's not going to happen, pleasing God. You need to get in all the way. Because if you're, if my, I believe this to be, to be the truth. If your heart is elsewhere, you either need to go there or you need to get it out of there. It's that simple. Stop riding the fence with just a distant hearing of who Jesus is. I preached a message one time in our first church and many years ago. And I said, you, you need to get off the fence. You either serve God or serve the devil. So stop playing around. And a guy quit coming to church. I rang him up after a couple of weeks. I said, man, man, you know, where have you been? Well, you said stop riding the fence. You said serve God or serve the devil. I said, you know, that was meant to get you to serve Jesus, you know. Quit serving, don't serve the devil. And, I, and he goes, well, I, I'll just show you. We went on the conversation. But Bartimaeus had a blindness. It was his obstacle to truly live. But he knew he was blind. Not only did he know he was blind, he had a distant hearing of Jesus. And when he had that distant hearing of Jesus, you know what he did? But he started shouting. Didn't he? You know, he, in a great way, because of that distant hearing of Jesus, we find that he had a desire of help. A desire of help. Look there in verse 47, the next part with me. It says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. Now, guys, when the Bible says cry out, it's not talking about necessarily weeping now. It's not talking about, um, uh, um, hey, Jesus, when he says he cries out, he is pleading with every fiber of his vocal cord to get his voice to the ear of the master. He said, and he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David. Do you know what's being said there? Thou son of David. Now, we know the genealogy of Jesus. Why do we know the genealogy of Jesus? Well, because it's in the Bible. Does anybody in here think for one second that Bartimaeus had a clue about the genealogy of Jesus? No. 
that he knew the Messiah would be called the son of David. He knew who he was. He recognized who he was because he knew his need and he was the only one that was going to be able to help him. He said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Beloved, this day would be a day like no other. This blind beggar knew that if he was ever going to get off that highway, that he was going to begin living life fully, it was going to be through this man called Jesus of Nazareth and only him alone. No one, and I mean no one, had offered to help this beggar. No one, and I mean no one at all, uh, could help him like Jesus could. But the biggest caveat here is that Bartimaeus knew this. That's the difference that we have with our world today. And this blind man sat on the street for all of his time was that he knew he was blind, but he also knew there was only one that was going to help him, and he cared for him. He desired to have help from one that could help him. He could see well enough to know that he was helpless without the touch of the master. So here it is the biggest obstacle in our day and time. Our society has afforded everyone to have a life, but not truly live. Too many people today will depend on whether it be the government or, and they'll never consider God. We were, we were talking to the Bears last night and they had watched some TV show and uh, this TV show had depicted some people that if they would, they would get a, a 12 months um, payout, of, a benefits payout, if they agreed to come off benefits with what they were gonna do with this like 26, you know, something thousand pounds. And uh, they were talking about the, these guys, one guy was gonna try to start some business but they had no functional knowledge of council tax, of expenditures in life, of what it costs to set up a business, to rent out a, a I mean, they had, they had zero information, they had zero knowledge. They spent their entire life being taken care of and minimal taken care of, you know, at that, by the government. So when someone else is taking care of your daily needs, you don't look at God like you need anything. You understand now where the underlying and root of socialism comes from? We think it's the government trying to help people. We just want to be a blessing. You can't give somebody something you don't produce without taking from someone else. Amen? Adrian Rogers says you can't multiply wealth without divi dividing it. Now, I'm not, this is not a message on politics. This is a fact of, the, of, of life here. This man was blind. That was his obstacle. He knew he was blind, and he knew the only way he was getting off that street and not being blind, it wasn't going to be by some social program, but it was going to be by the Savior, by the name of Jesus Christ. You see, too many people today will not, they'll trust their own ability. Forget the government. They'll trust their talent. And never consider Jesus Christ. Too many today are blind to the fact that they need help from the one source more than anyone or anything, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the difference between the blind beggar on the side of the highway this day and successful souls walking around in our world? E even though he could not see, he knew it. He was blind physically, but he, he knew what was holding him down. He knew what he needed in order to, uh, to get the help, but he knew who, who he needed to get that help. So I want you to notice the next element here. Notice that we've seen a distant hearing of Jesus, a desire to help from Jesus, but what's the devil's hindrance? You say, wait a second here. I thought this was all going in a positive manner. Well, it is. Look at verse 48. Now, mind you, he's crying out. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. In the very next verse, and many charged him that he should hold his peace. 
and cried the more, and he cried the more great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Beloved, there is a constant, bat, constant battle raging in our world today. And it is a battle of blindness. The Bible tells us that, but if our gospel be hid, if people can't see the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if our gospel be hid to them that are lost, means they're unsafe, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Beloved, the devil doesn't care how many pounds you make a year. He doesn't care how many millions you make. He doesn't care if you feel like you are living your best life now. He only cares to keep you blind to the gospel of Christ. He's not going to keep you blind or deaf to the name of Jesus. He don't care if you know the name of Jesus. He doesn't care if you've heard of Jesus. Furthermore, he doesn't care if you even desire help from Jesus. He only cares to keep you from getting that help. He cares to keep us blind, to hinder the saving knowledge of who and what Jesus Christ is and how, what, how great of love that he has for his creation. The Bible says wherewith he has loved us to bring in the riches of, 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 to the soul who cannot afford it, who cannot receive it. We can't do anything in and of ourselves. This is the battle of the age. Paul warns the very same thing in Ephesians chapter 6, saying, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Right? You know, there's only one offensive weapon that we're given. And what is it? The Bible, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. All the rest of it is, is defensive weapons against the devil. You know, breastplate of righteousness, having loins girt about with truth, feet job the gospel of peace uh, having the shield of faith and after you get all this on what do you put on helmet of salvation you know one of the reasons i'm convinced that god put that helmet of salvation last in the list you got to be saved to have the breastplate of righteousness you're saved by grace through that shield of faith well you're saved according to the gospel having your feet shod of the gospel of peace having your loins good about the truth all right so jesus said the truth shall, shall make you free amen we know that if, if he'd have stuck that helmet out first, what we would have done, we'd have got saved, and we'd have ran into that battle naked as a jaybird and got killed. You see what I'm saying? This is the battle we live in today, the battle that Barnabas was fighting every day of his life. Jesus Christ does not desire, guys, for us to remain blind. He doesn't desire for his creation to remain blind. He does not desire for you to be held in darkness. So I want you to notice finally with me tonight. We see that there was a desire to help. We see that there was a devil's hindrance. But I want you to see the delivering hands, the delivering hands. Look at verses 49 through 52. And the Bible says, And Jesus stood still and commanded him that he called. They, they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight, and he followed Jesus in the way. You notice the pattern that occurred in those verses right there with these delivering hands? Here, here's the first thing that happened. The very first thing that happened was that conviction fell upon Bartimaeus. 
Verse 48 says, but he cried the more great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He's in the midst of people who probably has been chucking change at him his whole life. He's in the midst of people who maybe have given him a little Snickers bar. They've given some snacks. They've given him some water. They've given him a blanket. They've given him something that they don't want anymore. You know, he's in the midst. Those people are saying, be quiet, be quiet. Settle down, settle down. Don't, you know, don't cause an alarm. They're trying to stifle him. They're working for the devil, mind. And yet we find there's conviction in his heart. Guys, when you are convicted of the Holy Spirit of God, of your need of Jesus Christ, and you don't want to be blind anymore, and you don't want to just have life, but you want to be living, amen? When that happens with you, and that devil steps in and says, no, you don't need to say yes to that. No, you don't need to believe on that. Listen, man, these are all just old wives' tales. They're just old stories written by men. And all of that kind of stuff that we always hear, that's the devil working against you trying to keep you on the side of that highway, amen, begging for crumbs, amen, rather than sitting at the king's table for a meal. Bartimaeus was convicted. He says, no, sir. He cried the more great deal. He got louder, amen. Then there was a calling that we find, a calling that happened. Verse 49, first part, tells us here, it says, uh, Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Jesus said, come. He said, come on. You see, there's going to, that's going to happen. Those of us that are saved, that are born again, we remember that moment. 30th of December, 1990, uh, I remember that moment, sat in that chair, as my preacher began to witness the gospel to me, and that conviction set in, and I could feel that spirit, that Holy Spirit said, hey, come. But I still had to make the decision, amen. I still had to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, or I'd have been just as blind at 19 years old uh, as I had been, for, and I would be for the rest of my life, as I would have been that day. So we find there's an obedience or a coming, if you will. Look at verse 50. The Bible says that he casted away his garment, rose, and came to Jesus. I want you to get the picture here. I'm not trying to make more about of the words, but you know what he did when he took his garment and he threw it to the side? He said, I'm done with that old life. I'm getting me a new one. Amen. He goes, you know what? I'm done with my covering. I'm going to get the righteousness of Christ on. I'm done with what I'm wearing. I'm done with what people are marked me by. I'm done with what this coat here, this old ragtag thing. I'm finished with this. I'm going to the Savior. I'm going to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give me some new threads on. Amen. I'm going to be a smart dresser. And I'm going to look good in my righteousness that I'm wearing of Jesus Christ. The calling. He knew what he was doing. The coming. Then there's the confession. Verse 51. Blimey said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. The confession is what has to happen. The confession is what you have to make. The confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess the Lord Jesus uh, and believe in that heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It is that simple today. It is that easy. And guys, we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of souls. They're blind as Bartimaeus is. Because the God of this world is holding them down, whispering things in their ear. Now, you, you've got plenty of time. You know, one of, the, one of the greatest deceptions of the world today is that you have plenty of time. And yet, we just went over that in the Q&A tonight, James chapter 4, life's not but a vapor. 1.8 people die every second. 155,000 people die every single day. And according to the common statistics, 67% of the world's population, over 8 billion people now, have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus. And you do those now. You know what? We know how big New Jerusalem is, don't we? We've got exact numbers in the Bible. 1,500 
mild cue. The Bible tells me in the book of Isaiah, the hell hath enlarged this guy. You know what that should do to you tonight, those of you, you here or listening online that are saved? That should, that should be a gut punch to you. You ever been punched in the gut that just kind of stops everything? That should be a gut punch in our life to understand that our world needs Jesus, that your neighbors need Jesus. Listen, you're, listen you're, you're living next door to your neighbors, not mine. You, you know, you, you go to work with your co-workers, not mine. If you see your classmates, not my classmates, amen? God's put them in your life for that reason. The people at the, the co-op and the Tesco and the, the Asdas and wherever you shop, they're in your life for a reason. It ain't no different than blind Bartimaeus sat on that road right there. If you pass them by, woe unto you, amen. There was a delivering of hands, a conviction, a calling, a coming. There was a confession, and then there was a continuing, guys. He didn't just say, hey, I got the, I got the goods, I can see now. Verse 52 says, and immediately he received his sight and, and followed Jesus in the way. I love that. I love the wording of it. Now, we, we know historically more than likely that it says follow him in the way, probably talking about that highway, getting out of Dodge or getting out of Jericho, right? But there's a way a Christian lives. There's a way a Christ lived. It's, it's why we, you know, believers were called, first called Christians in Antioch. They lived a life like Christ. And so what happened? Bartimaeus got his sight. And he just went off saying, I can see now, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. He goes, no, but I'm going to follow the one that I'm going to follow the one man that gave me the sight. Bartimaeus followed Jesus in the way. He knew what, and he knew who helped him, and therefore he followed him in the way, becoming a, a disciple, if you will, assuming the role of a disciple in the Lord Jesus Christ, continuing in the way of Christ, thus living a life as a Christian. So I'll leave you with this thought tonight. And maybe you're watching online this evening, maybe later on you're you're listening to this going down the road and maybe you're, you just never have made that decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And maybe you've been comfortable in the midst of being blind and maybe you don't see that you have a need tonight. But every soul in this room that knows Jesus Christ as their Savior has been at that point one day in their life. We've all been there. We've all been in the situation. We've all got to that point of saying in our heart, man, I just want to I just want peace. I just want to be saved. I just want to come and know the one who loved me enough and died for me. And I'm asking you to come to that point tonight. It's a simple prayer asking Jesus Christ to save you, believing on death and on resurrection of Jesus Christ. That simple. It's not complex. There's no catechism. There's no seven-point plan. There's no baptism. There's no, there is none of those things that man has created it is simply believing on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because he died for your sins, he was buried in the grave according to Scripture, and he was raised from that grave victorious to give you victory over death. Those of you who are saved, our life is filled with Barnabas. Our life is filled with the devil and his henchmen keeping blindness. And I'm going to tell you, the greatest tool of blindness in our world today is that of comfort. That of, you know, Bartimaeus, when, 
Bartimaeus, when, when the Lord asked him, what do, you, what do you want? I mean, you think he was hungry? I'm, I'm always hungry, you know? I'm hungry right now, if you know the truth. I just ate a big bowl of whatever I had on the way here. I'm hungry now, all right? I bet you he was hungry. I bet you his stomach was touching one another. He's probably so thin, man, that you could read a newspaper through him, all right? He could have said, I want food for the rest of my life. I don't want to be hungry ever again. He could have said, I want a continual supply of pure water. I want to be a wealthy man. No. I know what's holding me back. I'm blind. I want to receive it. So tonight, you may be here living, you may be, uh, you know, listening online or watching online, you may be, you, you know, you may have life. You may be going through the motions. You may be making a living. You may be doing all of those things. But I'm asking you this here this evening. Are you truly living? Are you living the life Christ wants you to live? Because He wants you to live a life of victory. He wants you to live a life of peace. He Listen, the Bible tells us He gives, gives us not the spirit of fear, but of power and of sound mind. He wants you to think right. He wants nothing bad for you but everything good for you. That's what he wants. Why not take these offerings? They're on the table of your life. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. We thank you for the evening. Pray you bless the rest of the service tonight. The time that we have together, I just simply ask you now that you will bear witness upon every soul that hears this message in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Lord of the Barnabas, his father in our life, those that we'll come into contact with this evening or tomorrow or whenever it may be. Let us not be in too much of a hurry to pass them by. Let us not turn a deaf ear to their cry. Lord, let us share that precious gospel with them, the only thing that can help them, that they may receive their soul. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. I hope and pray that the preaching and teaching of the Word of God tonight is a blessing to you. And, uh, so I'll say this since we're still running online right now. Um, if, there, if, you're, if you've watched this or are watching this tonight, and you, um, or you're here, if you have any questions concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ, you get in touch with us, you get in touch with me, and uh, we'll answer every, every question there is biblically and soundly. Amen.